and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Good to be with you, Ashley. Hey, Zach. And Vivian Cabrera. What is up, my friends? Hey, hey. How's everyone doing? Uh, I am good. Um, we Here in my apartment, we are, um, one of my roommates has hidden... 12 Cadbury Easter eggs. So it's been a lot of fun just like going about our day trying to see how many we can find. So far, I found four. Oh, so that's the so other, fun. Um, six eggs, if you're listening, I'm coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I am sad to report that uh, I, I, my sister brought her Xbox over um, for quarantine um, for us to be together. And I'm not, I haven't really been a big video game player in my adult life uh but i'm sad to say it's very easy to fall back into uh the (laughs) old ways because it turns out it is more fun than reading sometimes (laughs) i believe that that's great so Um, i haven't been the most productive but star wars battlefront 2 is really cool so that's what i discovered that recently ashley how are you doing i'm good i wish my mom had hid our candy because i like overdosed on kit kats yesterday and i think that might have contributed to my upset upset stomach um but but otherwise doing well that happens actually real quick if you could pick one easter egg uh or one easter candy what is it uh i feel like the okay peanut butter reese's peanut butter egg obviously okay vivian (laughs) that's what i was gonna say shoot okay so you both got that you're both Good answers, but Sour Patch Kids wins. Uh, no, that's not an Easter candy. Oh, no. I definitely had well, Sour Patch Easter bunny things in my basket. Oh, they come Easter shaped. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So happy Easter still. Yes, it's still Easter. Happy Easter. And this is our third quarantine bonus episode of Jesuitical. Um, and today we are talking with Father Patrick Gilger. Patty Gilger, as he's known around here. He is a Jesuit priest studying at the New School and is the co-host of the very popular video series, Jesuit Autocomplete. Yes, Patty, along with uh, Father Eric Sundrup, who is the spiritual advisor to this show, um, they have a really funny YouTube show, uh, which is Jesuit Autocomplete, where they tackle uh, some of the internet's most asked questions about God and religion. We're gonna, Patty's gonna tell us all about it, but if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth checking out. I um, am usually the one who publishes those, and let me tell you, they just brighten up my day. They're so fun to watch, and uh, you definitely need to check them out. All right, let's bring Patty in. Hey, Patty. How are you guys doing? Very well. We're good. How are things in Milan right now? You know, um, I'm looking out my window right now, and it's a gorgeous day here. Uh, Really, the last week has been incredibly beautiful, and it feels like spring, but I can only feel that by reaching my arm out my window and trying to feel the air. (laughs) So it's a a strange experience, but it really is beautiful, and I'm taking what beauty I can uh, be given at the moment as a gift. How did you uh, celebrate Easter? Well, you know, one of the... One of the real joys, and I say this with you know both some levity but also some real gravity, is that uh, of being a Jesuit is that you know we have access to the sacraments. Unlike you know I say with real sympathy, um, the three of you who I feel real you know gratitude for and your own practice of whatever you're doing and sympathy for and the lack of whatever's lacking and not to presume, but the gift of that for me was that um, we were able to celebrate Holy Thursday Mass. You know the celebration of especially for priests a big day a big day for me to 
remember the meaning of the priesthood as the washing of the feet that Christ does. And then also Friday, the absence of the Eucharist that day. I haven't felt it that profoundly in a long time. Um, maybe some sense of, sense of, I don't know, uh, sympathy, empathy, uh, bond or union with them. Uh, but then we had this fantastic celebration Sunday morning, really gentle, all in Italian, of course. So, you know, I know the mass parts, but I can really only understand maybe 60% of the homily <laughs> or something. So, Patty, before we kind of delve uh, deeper into that, let's, I want to go back to the beginning. Um, you left for Milan from New York in early March. Uh, can you remind us where uh, we were in the arc of the coronavirus um, at that point, both, both in the US and in Italy? Yeah, of course. Um, it, it's, it's such a strange thing in some ways because we had uh, news of the coronavirus, like of its real spread outside of Wuhan, outside of some certain areas of China, had really hit the radar of international media and the American media, especially the day before I left for Milan. So this trip I'd been planning for quite some time to come to directly to Lombardy, Northern Italy, where um, apparently was the second major center of the outbreak. But I didn't, you know, I took it seriously and I read all the news, these kinds of things. But at the same time, I thought to myself, well, I don't think this is going to stop my trip. And I didn't have any doubts about that until I boarded the red eye to fly from New York City over to Milan here. And there were maybe, I don't know, a dozen people on this 300 or 400 person airliner. And I thought, yeah, maybe I should have thought more hard about this. <laughs> yeah, a little too late once they close the cabin door, though. Yeah, yeah right. that's right. One of the rare moments where that feels particularly definitive. And so when you landed, what what was the feel in the city? Italy has been in lockdown mode. I mean, I know experiences are very different all across the states, but Italy's been in lockdown mode, and especially in the north, pretty seriously from about a week and a half after I arrived. So late late March, we'll say something like this. And when I got here, there was already kind of a soft quarantine in effect. And so I get off the plane with these handful of other people and I'm walking through the you know, Milan-Malpensa airports, just trying to keep my bearings mostly. Uh, but at the same time, I'm walking through and before we're allowed to even get in line to go through customs, which of course doesn't take very long because there aren't very many people, every one of us had to be scanned by a masked healthcare worker to check our temperature and these kinds of things to make sure that we weren't carrying you know, further illness into the, into the country. And I thought, okay, well, uh, there seems to be some real seriousness here because it had just begun to be on our radar in the States. And already uh, Italy was was scanning passengers arriving into the country. Wow. I, I assume that you're keeping up with news here back home. Um, have you noticed any difference in how sort of everyday Americans and everyday Italians are responding to the virus? Yeah, you know, I'm, I have... Uh, I, I have lots of theories about these kinds of things, about the ways, you know, our culture shapes the way we respond to things. And I should speak with a little hesitancy in some ways because I'm a newcomer here to Italy. Milan is very different from Rome. It's very different from Palermo. So is New York from Dallas or Berkeley. But at the same time, I think there are some real commonalities in the way that people handle these things. Um, an example might be something like this. The, uh, in Milan here, this is like the economic engine of Italy. It's in the north. Um, it's very cosmopolitan. It's one of the hearts of fashion around the world. So there's lots of people coming and going here. It's a very cosmopolitan city. And still here, there are all of these incredible uh, monuments, churches, relics, 
that are just scattered around the city. They're not like locked away inside of a museum, even the way we've done with our incredible museums in New York City. They're just in normal spaces. Um, one example is that I went over to St. Ambrose's Cathedral, which is here in the city. It's just a 15 minute walk away from where I'm staying. And his body is there beneath the, the main altar, beneath the high altar. And so they have this little tiny crypt uh, you know, beneath the high altar. And so I spent probably, I don't know, 20 minutes or something just kneeling in the pews there, uh, looking in to see his body there, which is fully vested um, in the robes of an archbishop. And at the same time, there is his skull. And so there's just that sense of familiarity with death or with the fact that the community of the church or the community of Italy, the community of Milan is broader than just what's happening at the latest fashion expo, even though that's important and interesting and often really beautiful. But there's something of depth and of history and maybe like a lack of fear of, um, of death. And it's a little more normal, like a little more in the air, a little more breathable. And, um, you know, we're just not that good at that kind of thing in the United States. Like often we're such pragmatists, like we want to control and we want to have a plan. Uh, we want to operationalize that. And I understand like, you know, I'm an American. I hope I'm as American as I come in a lot of ways, but it's different. And it feels like it stretches me. The difference really stretches me. Uh, Patty, you recently wrote a piece for uh, America titled uh, A Jesuit Went to Milan to Learn Italian. COVID-19 taught him something more. Um, can you tell us a little bit about kind of why you decided to write this really beautiful reflection? Yeah, um, I am not sure I actually ever decided to write it, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> like, um, this is literally what happened is uh, in the piece I mentioned getting sick and um, when I was in the middle of the illness, which I'm not sure was COVID, I, I really don't have, have any idea. I mean, I had the symptoms, but I never went and got tested and whatever. We are, I am fine now. No one else got sick. Thank God. But um, what happened was that I got a note from uh, a friend asking me to come on his podcast. And so um, I wanted to say no, but for some reason I didn't. And so I was in the middle of this illness and I'm on this podcast trying to talk about stuff. And then after it was over, all these people, after it was shared, especially, all these people kept saying to me like, hey, um, can you write this up really quickly for us? Um, hey, could you share something more here? Hey, could you come talk to such and such? Mm -hmm. And it felt to me like a real call. Um, it felt like people were in need of something and that there had been a voice that had come through me that was able to treat tenderly the growing fear that people were feeling, especially back in the States and, and to be here in the midst of this and to go through it there. And so I just started, like I just sat down um, trying to write up something very simple, like very simple, because I was sick. I didn't have the energy uh, for, you know, actually for America or maybe for someplace else. And then I, um, I just started and this is what came out. Like it just came, the first 2000 words were just, um, it was just a flood, like in a rush. I'm sure all of you know, like and many people who are listening, you guys know what it's like to have something just given to you like that. And mm -hmm. so then once it was there, I felt like, wow, the Lord really wants something or, or this Pete's really wants to say something. And so I just tried to follow that and hopefully I lived up to whatever it was. We can definitely attest to that as like um, 
comments come in and people expressing their appreciation. So we definitely touched a lot of people with that piece. I appreciate you, Vivian. So Patty, you start this piece um, kind of complaining about the rowdy teenagers outside your window in Milan who are <laughs> <laughs> are singing and drinking and singing some more, um, and then lamenting uh, when that when that song goes away because of the lockdown. But I think I, I think a lot of people have seen the videos coming out of out of Italy of people singing to each other um, from their balconies. Uh, so can you what what's with all the singing? Is is that just an Italian thing? <laughs> it feels that way to me. Like I I don't know. Like I I want to be clear. Like um I am trying uh, I am trying my damnedest to learn Italian. This has been six weeks of intensive Italian. So my Italian now is no longer terrible. It's just bad. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm here. I can do some of this. But look, I, I do not understand Italians. Like I do not. I don't want to pretend to. But there's something here, like there's a fluency with that way of spending time together. Um, a quick example, and then back to the kids. But you know, there are a handful of us here in the community, just seven of us. We're trying to, you know, make a make a community, and there are a handful of these people, uh, the 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 ones with whom I'm sharing this the space in the community in the high school, who will just sit around after most of our meals, just very unrushed, dirty dishes still on the table. Um, a bottle of wine or a bottle of grappa out and just having this very, you know, easy conversation. And it's not singing, but there's just a sense of ease here. Like we can wait what I have to go do, which is often important. These people are also working over Skype or over Zoom or whatever it is, but this can wait for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And so there's something there in that space that people are cultivating that they want to be together. There's a recreation that happens together rather than a recreation that happens individually on our own you know, social media devices or something like this, right? They do this together. And I think the same thing with these kids who are outside my window. There were like 15 or 20 of them. And even though I'm up on the fifth floor, it was literally like they were standing next to my bed. And they were singing these, often like these soccer songs or, you know, these traditional Italian songs or something. And it was kind of like amazing and lovely. Like the high school teacher in me was just like so happy. Like these kids are, you know, yeah, like they're probably doing stupid stuff, but they're good kids. Like they're there together doing this stuff. And then uh, at the same time, I'm super annoyed because it's 11 p.m. and I can't sleep. <laughs> But I think this is a very Italian thing because I've tried to get my neighbors to sing with me um, and that's really not working in my neighborhood. <laughs> I saw the Trevor Noah video too. So that was well done by him playing off the difference. Patty, I'm wondering if you could uh, has you, tell us a little bit about how your prayer life has changed under quarantine. I know, Zach, like the, the, th the four of us, I think we know each other a little bit. I hope you guys feel like you know me. And so I hope that also that so I can say something like... Um, I, most of the time, I feel like I'm pretty similar to most of the other people that I'm around. Like, I don't think being a Jesuit has made me like so different or being a priest has made me so different from other people. I feel like most of the time I can be with people and understand, oh yeah, I get that. Or I'm here listening to this. And this, um, the quarantine, I say that because this quarantine has been one of those rare moments in my life where I feel really different from a lot of people. And it's because, I mean, look, there's a lot of privilege um, in my experience of this. Like I'm safe and I'm well. And uh, I mean, yes, there's a lot of sickness happening around me. I went through some of this, but there is a lot of privilege in me. But at the same time, my life has continued in a, in a fairly normal way in terms of its daily rhythms. I get up in the morning and the Lord is my first contact and I still have a cup of coffee. 
And then I can try to give my heart away in whatever way that is available to me. And the ways that are available are through these social media channels. But I've been finding in my own efforts to reach out to former students or to parishioners or to people that I've known from different places in my life that um, I'm doing the same kinds of things that I usually do, which is listen to people bear their hearts as best as they're able before God. Pat, I want to switch gears a bit here and talk about your role as the celebrity priest on Jesuit Autocomplete. (laughs) (laughs) I reject that word, but okay, please continue. Hi, I'm Father Eric Sundrup, and I'm here with Father Patrick Gilger at American Media, and this is Jesuit Autocomplete. And today we have this one. uh, Why does God? Why does God? (laughs) I don't know. Yep, we're going to find out here. Why does God love me? Oh. Has there been a question on um, Jesuit Autocomplete that you've been particularly moved by when you weren't? Because you don't see the questions before you answer them, correct? I do not, except for one time when Eric cheated and looked at the questions beforehand and then whispered them to me. <laughs> no, the uh, for my money, the best question that we've ever seen on this was a really, also a really painful one, but a kind of beautiful one to be able to answer. Uh, and it was this, it was a question, why does God love me? And um, there's just so much that was going through my heart at that moment. Uh, mm-hmm. First, a sense of shock, you know? Um, yeah. I says a lot about me that I would never think of asking that question, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And and you know, there's grace in that, right? That I've been loved so well and so deeply by people in my life that I'm like full up with this, and it's okay. Um, but also the fact that um, somebody has no place else to go to than Google to ask that kind of a question just made me so sad and tender, that kind of feeling tender towards them. And Eric started the answer just so beautifully. And he just stopped all of the kind of banter that we do sometimes. And he just turned directly to the camera and said, "Um, look, you know, we talk about these things and we can give you guys good ideas a lot of times. And we hope we're answering with fidelity to the church. But I can say this directly to each of you out there, no matter what your context is, no matter where you're listening from, um, God cares about you and loves you right now. And he looked straight into the camera and said that. And I was just so proud of him at that moment. I was like, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. That's what I wanted to say. So then we talked about, you know, what it's like to experience the love of God and to help other people experience the love of God, which is there. But look, you know, one of the things that's most true about human beings is that we are really, really good at hiding from love. And Eric at that moment, I think, was able to kind of find us in our hiding places and just say, hey, (laughs) you, you are loved, you, especially you. That was beautiful. You know, saying that maybe no one else had, uh, they didn't have anyone to ask that kind of question, you know, why does God love me? I don't know if that's actually the case. I don't know if you saw the movie uh, Good Boys from last year, uh, a very humorous movie about some fifth graders getting into trouble. But um, they're in one of the scenes, they're trying to learn how to kiss and they go on these shenanigans and these teenage girls just tell them, you just Google that like everyone else. <laughs> And I wonder, and there, there, I think there's this generational thing where like Google is like where you like turn to, to like learn how to scramble eggs and shave and uh, cook and make love and all of these different things. And I, it's, I don't know if that, if we're losing something there with that or like, should someone ask 
they're like deep questions about God on Google. Yeah, Zach, I mean, I wish I had seen that movie now. Maybe I will make time for it. <laughs> now that you mentioned it, it sounds hilarious. You got, you got a lot of time, I think. So, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. Right. As long as it's in English and not Italian, I can do it. <laughs> um, I just want to imitate God in my response to these kinds of questions as best I'm able, which is often not very good, <laughs> but to say two things about that. And the first is that I don't have any right to try to control people where they go and where they find their information and those kinds of things. So I don't, I'm not interested in that kind of control. And I think that God is not interested in having any of that kind of control over our lives. I just think he doesn't care about that. But the second thing I would say is that, yeah, I think we've really lost something when um, those really intimate and beautiful moments get externalized into a non-personal relationship. It's really not a relationship, in fact. So we've learned something uh, by turning to a library rather than by turning to a person. And a library is not a person. Uh, there's a huge difference there. A quick example that I think may be revelatory of this is that you know, all of us have had memories of, or you've seen the images of, or I know that I've done. Uh, like I've taken my five-year-old nephew into the bathroom like when I'm shaving in the morning and um, he wants to put the shaving cream on his face. And so I give him a razor with the guard on and I put the guard, I take the guard off and I'm like, okay, now you have to be very careful here. And this is how you do it like this. No, no, like this young man. And then he's like looking up at me and I'm looking down at him. This is a human relationship. And there's something that is de definitely different. Um, the reason that relationship is so important in the context of an answer like this, especially with regard to a question like, why does God love me? Is because a book cannot give us an answer to that question. It is not capable of doing so. Only a person can do it. That's the meaning of the incarnation. I, I'll just say, don't ask your questions. Don't ask your deep God questions on Google. I will, I will exercise that control. It's a bad idea, people. Don't do it. <laughs> All right. Well, I also have very fond memories of making my dad teach me how to shave and just putting it on my face. Ashley, I love it. <laughs> and I'm so glad that people have uh, you and Father Eric Sundrup to to have some of these answers from. Um, and I'm glad you're healthy and safe in Milan. Uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Um, I'm sure it was a treat to be able to speak in English for a bit. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, I feel like a human being again. <laughs> um, Can I say one other thing, actually? Is yeah, that okay? Go for it. Okay. So, yeah, like just about this experience. So, um, one of the main experiences of learning another language, and lots of people have had an experience like this, but for me, you know, talk about our, my prayer life or spiritual life here, what are the lessons that I'm learning? And it's the experience of being insufficient to communicate who I am in a language that is an incredibly beautiful and painful spiritual experience. So there's this thing in the spiritual exercises where Ignatius, in describing the pattern of life that Jesus proposes to his followers, says that Jesus asks his disciples, us like you and me, to move from an embrace of poverty to an embrace of humiliations to an embrace of humility, and so to build the kingdom of God in the world. Now look, that is insane. Like it's, it's insane. But for me, um, like poverty, yes, it can be really like practically challenging at times, but for me, that's not where my resistance gets thrown up. Where my internal resistance gets thrown up is humiliations. Like I loathe and hate 
being humiliated or being looked down upon or those kinds of things. Like the visceral response is just super strong. But my experience here, it's not that people are humiliating me. No one is saying anything bad to me. It's just that they cannot recognize me in my humanity because I cannot speak to them about it. <laughs> and, and this experience is humiliating, but it's a grace because it's leading me into this kind of a humility. Like I can be loved by the Lord to go back to our question about why I'm loved. I can be loved by the Lord regardless of whether or not I'm able to, you know, perform well or speak beautiful words or something like that. So it's a strange grace, but look, being a Christian, like actually being a Christian, it's a really strange thing. Yeah. I, I look forward to meeting this new humble Patty when you come back to New York. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Ouch. Uh, oh, so unnecessary. <laughs> it's not an insult if it's the truth. One last question for you, Patty, that we ask all of our guests. If you could canonize anyone, living or dead, Catholic or not, who would it be and why? You know, He's not dead yet, but I just have to say that in moments of um, my own neediness here and a feeling a little lost or confused or even just angry about um, what seems to me like a lack of leadership at times in the country or in the world, uh, Pope Francis has just been such an incredible role model of how to live in the midst of uncertainty. And he's so honest about this stuff. So for me, I mean, he's the guy, like he's just the guy, like the one I feel like I can always rely on, like always turn to, read his homily in the morning or look to the Orbi at Orbi blessing that he gave a couple weeks ago. Just the sight of him sitting alone under that awning with all of St. Peter's Square empty just felt like um, St. Peter's Square felt like my heart then. You know, it's like it feels really empty and we feel alone. And then like right in the middle of it, there he is, really gentle, totally loving. I'm like, yeah, that's my experience of God. So like whoever is living like that, those are the people that I want to canonize. Pope Francis is doing it for me right now. Why not? He's the one. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Patty. So to check out our Jesuit autocomplete, you can go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash mag. Um, check out his article on americamagazine.org and where can people follow you on twitter they can follow me on twitter at patty gilger sj beautiful definitely worth doing awesome patty thank you so much for uh joining us today um and uh yeah buona serata thank you listen you guys are wonderful and uh, keep doing this work and caring for one another and all the people in your lives and all the people listening it's really important thanks patty 